Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. There, I have the wrong script. Could there be poltergeists in the wilderness? That's last week's script. Could there not be poltergeists in the wilderness? Perhaps not. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, this is very embarrassing. First time in uh, 13 years. Anyway, what strange things were exploding in Blackstone, Massachusetts that people just don't, can't figure out? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, let's uh, welcome to Behind the Paranormal uh, with Paul and Ben Eno. It is, is our 870th show. 71st, actually. No, actually, it is 870. Oh, is it? But we're getting a great start today. Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> yeah, last week was the 869. We can't even blame the time change because it's been too I'll blame much. that. I'll blame that. So, in any case, uh, yeah, I think the rest should be correct. Okie dokie. So welcome to the 870th edition uh, of the Bumpy Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno uh, show uh, coming to you live from WON 1240 AM and FM radio here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live and TuneIn.com. I'm Ben and those diverse questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures and dad, Paul. And today we bring you a second back-to-back uh, or two, second of two, I should say, back-to-back open-line shows. If you'd like to join us on the show, you can give us a call, 401-766-1240, and that's from anywhere. Or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And please do join us if you can, because our favorite guest co-host, Shane Searway, was uh, unexpectedly um, uh, unavailable today. Uh, couldn't join us. He always uh, helps us co-host these open-line shows. He does a great job and really adds to our discussion. However, Elizabeth Ben and myself today, and you, if you choose to call us, uh, again, 401-766-1240. Well, as we always do, we always have plenty of surprises coming. Uh, oh, yes. So stay tuned for those. Yeah. Well, here's the first one. There has been, over the past month, a lot of rep- have been a lot of reports uh, from in and around Blackstone, Massachusetts, which is only a mile or two away from where we are, right in the heart of our listening area here on WON. And uh, there are reports of large booms or explosions uh, very often accompanied by flashes of light uh, that have no apparent explanation or have had no apparent explanation that, that I'm aware of anyway. we ha- I've spoken with um, at least one person who has heard these, and Ben, you yourself said you... Now, you're all the way up in Douglas, Massachusetts, which isn't... It's not really that far. No, 12 miles maybe, but you heard, the, heard these booms. Well, I mean, it could be entirely possible. I heard something different, but you know, it was you know, it sounded like a big explosion. And, you know, I I assumed that it was that it was you know some sort of like work being done. Um, you know, because we we had some construction going on down the way, and so I was like, oh, maybe they're blasting or something. And then I looked outside, and there was no construction crews. <laughs> well, I just so happened to have a recording of it, and it's very brief, uh, and I hope everybody can hear it. I will. Well, hold it up to the microphone. Yeah, could you could you hear that? Well, kind of. Yeah, I could hear it. I yeah, mean, they, they sound like. And everybody who was in the military, whoever heard a bomb, including myself, it sounded like a bomb or, or the the report from like a five inch gun, that sort of thing. Yeah, I thought it was because I was like, that's too loud for a gunshot. I was like, yeah, I mean, I live in, in small the, arms, in yeah. the quote unquote country, so it's like you know you. Most you hear is probably a rifle, but I was like, that sounds bigger than that. And that's why I thought it was some sort of like blasting equipment. Well, several things stand out about this. One is that it sounds like this are being heard all over the country. 
uh, probably all over the world if you look, but I'm sure I know that they're being heard around North America anyway. Uh, very, very similar sounds. Uh, number two, uh, I once, I grew up in Connecticut near uh, the central part of the state, and one of the phenomena that uh, is well-known, one of the phenomena, yeah, that is well-known there, uh, was known also to the First Nations, and it goes way back, with the moodest noises. And I have actually heard, those, and it sounded just like that. Mm. And the moodest noises have been judged by seismologists, anyway, from the University of Connecticut to be seismic. In other words, um, seismologists are people who study earthquakes, among other things, and mm. play tectonics. That's that's sort of good stuff. So, but before going to that conclusion, I mean, it, it is. And as a matter of fact, you can have uh, seismic noises of that kind accompanied by flashes of light. Even that, that's been because you know, if you take a couple of rocks, depending on the rocks, bang them together, get some I, sparks. I guess you can get sparks. Yeah, and only last for a second. There's been a theory that UFOs, or some of them anyway, could be the res- or could be actually earthquake lights, as they're actually called. Mm. So, well, that's what I, I I kind of I kind of guessed because I remember when we were talking about you know the moodest noises and a couple of other things because I I want to say it was 2012, but don't quote me on that when you know you had the the uh, the Dow's hum and all those things going on. Yeah, yeah, and you know it was like you know of course another cat. <laughs> "Quote unquote cataclysmic year," and at this at that point, you know, it was like, okay, well, you know, maybe it's seismic. So I, I happened to be uh, over at a f- at, at a friend's place, and I was I was talking talking with a, with a buddy of mine, and you know, I was like, he was like, oh, what do you think it is? You deal with paranormal stuff, and I was like, that's a I was like, that's a good point, but I was like, you know, maybe it's it's something that has to do with seismology, you know, because we we have had some seismic activity. If anybody remembers, last week we had that, um, at least I think it was last week, that uh, earthquake that was you know four point oh on the yeah it was on a week ago Friday. Uh, I should say Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, and it yeah, was we go today. Yeah, it was, and it was you know I was I thought about that and I was like you know it was probably not right before that, but like you know very close to that event where I heard that boom, and so I was like. Huh, and and so you know, kind of tripped a few alarm bells for me. Rose a couple of red flags. Maybe it had something to do with that. But you know, it's, it, it could be completely you know different events that just happened to be happening at the same time. Well, there are a couple of suspicious points about the Blackstone explosion, Blackstone and Bellingham, and uh, they took place along the area, uh, the, the general vicinity of Rathbun Street. If local folks would know where that is, kind of behind the Stop and Shop. And uh, on the Bellingham Blackstone line, <clears throat> uh, I went to get my hair cut yesterday, and my barber was saying that she had heard these explosions as well. Uh, there have been some uh, videos of the light flash or that sort of thing as, as well. So, uh, <clears throat> But I don't think we can jump to the conclusion that it's paranormal or that it's uh, seismic, which are different things. There, there's also the possibility that it could be some kind of hoax, uh, you you could do this kind of thing, I suppose, w- with a very powerful strobe, and a, uh, a you know a large, a sp- I suppose, speaker. Now you're the sound expert, so I mean, you could. How far could you project a sound like that? Uh, Artificial. Uh, let's <clears throat> see. Uh, I mean, sound waves don't stop traveling. They <laughs> yeah, right, right. So it's you know they just kind of decay as time goes on. I mean, the lowest. Like you know, the lowest frequency you can hear on the dynamic spectrum, um, you know, 20 hertz travels at approximately uh, 1,130 feet per second. 
and you know eventually it'll, it'll decay, but you know it'll it'll move that far that fast. So I, it, de- depending on how loud that speaker is, it would have to be loud, and it would have to be big, um, and, and it would have to do, it would you know it, it would be it would be noticeable. It would be very very noticeable. Um, you, you I I I think it would be at least you know it's kind of like. Um, you know, I mean, we 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 live in an, in an area, or well, where we grew up. You know, people have been blasting music out of out of their cars and stuff, <laughs> and it's like, you know, those are pretty power powerful you know, speakers because you have to get like you know, uh, off fact like you can't use factory made speakers to do that. You have to get specific subwoofers and all of that. Yeah, mount them in the back of your car so that they don't you know rattle your your chassis to the point where it falls apart. It's you know, and that's you know, it's relatively loud, but you know, it wouldn't create a huge boom. And and at that point, it's like you'd have to invest a lot of money in a hoax. This is this is like you know, a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. To mess with people. <laughs> well, what 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 are the uh, in the excuse me M Night Shyamalan movie uh, signs? They said, well, the hoax is created by uh, quote uh, nerds who can't get girlfriends unquote. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, don't I mean, know. it's it's possible. <laughs> But it, it, the 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 sort of the the question I, I would probably well I mean I I would probably venture to say that it, it it's possible, but it, it's it's a lot of work to do that. Well, the question the only question that arises on this well several questions arise about the seismic theory is that the, these uh, explosions uh, occurred generally between ten and midnight, ten and ten and p.m. and midnight. Oh, that's Eastern probably not time. the sound I heard then. Oh no! Exactly. That, that's yeah, the thing. Try something different. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so I mean, these things don't take place on a schedule if they're seismic, and they seem to have stopped since uh, the state fire marshal, Massachusetts state fire marshal, kind of get into the act, and somebody then they offered a five thousand dollar reward for anybody who can explain the explosion. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did. See All that of a sudden, in the paper. I believe I've been told that they have stopped. I haven't heard anything that, that they've stopped. Uh, since then, so th- this very well yeah, may be it, might, it might be a hoax then. <clears throat> yeah, and if I mean if, you, if it was a real explosion, there would be bomb craters. I mean, this is a thickly settled area, most of it. Right. There are a lot of woods around Harris Pond, but it's not enough you could hide that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, I get. I guess in theory, you know, you could put like a, a like a big amplifier on on speakers, yeah. like a big PA system. Well, there is a big like sand pit behind the uh, auto parts place uh, off Rathbun Street, but. Um, you know, again, that that would be all very noticeable. So, right. So, who knows? But uh, anybody has any further information, we'd love love to hear that. But these things are going on all over the country, and along with uh, lo- uh, whiny sound. You remember, like the not like the tone we heard and recorded in Pennsylvania last year uh, that we broadcast on our May twenty sixth show mm. uh, from twenty nineteen, along with that amazing UFO video we caught. Uh, it, it was that was a pleasant sound, but there are some sort of unpleasant that, that even gives you people headaches, uh, related to the Taos hum, that sort of thing. Right. So a lot of strange sounds that could they seem to come from the sky. They could be seismic. Who knows? So uh, that's uh, that's sort of a work in in progress. Well, there's actually um, I, I need to check the source before I I start saying it. Yeah, I'll check the source before before I say anything else. So please continue. Okay. Well, here's a quick. Get to some uh, material we didn't get to last time. Uh, this is from Todd in Ohio. If you sure, alrighty. Todd writes to us. Uh, I've been pondering the notion uh, that the uh, Dogon tribe were possibly visited in antiquity 
by a people uh, that claimed to be the Sirius star system and bestowed them with advanced technology. The beings were also thought to be uh, of an aquatic or reptile form. The theme of a teacher from afar is also echoed in other mythologies around the globe, uh, the visitors often performing the same services in different cultures, and apparently uh, in, in an apparent formative junction uh, in their civilizations. The, wor- uh, the dog word form is also recognized in, uh, or DOG form, uh, word form is also recognized in unrelated languages worldwide. Uh, my question is this. I've always thought that the serpent in the Garden of Eden uh, to be a symbol, a symbolic representation, but could be, could you briefly discuss the possibility that the uh, Eden serpent may have been a representation of the uh, aquatic Dogon slash Nomos beings? Okay. Uh, any school child knows that one, but no. <laughs> Thank you for an excellent question, Todd. All right, the Dogon issue is very complex, okay? Uh, the Dogon are a West African tribe. There are quite a few of them. They're over, uh, they're about 1.5 million, last I looked, uh, centered in, again, West Africa, um, largely in the nation of Mali, M-A-L-I. Their culture is v- complex. Their religion is complex. Uh, it involves a lot of mask wearing, which of course, uh, I guess we in 20th century, uh, 21st century, uh, the modern world are just catching up to them on mask wearing. Uh, and, uh, the, they have, um, um, uh, the belief of the, the, there's a lot in their religion having to do with twins and androgyny. In other words, uh, you know, the, the uh, the duality as reflected in Twin, twins being born and twin this and twin that, twin stars, and the Nomos twins or the Numos twins, uh, who are actually um, portrayed in their culture as being reptilian uh, or fish-like. Okay, Now, most of this was not known until a couple of French scientists went and studied the Dogon and lived with them in uh, the 1930s and then again in the 1940s. Uh, there wasn't too much war- World War II activity in uh, West Africa, some, but uh, <clears throat> they were able to study them at this point. And uh, spoke. Uh, and, and it reminds me of my own experience with the Aboriginals in Australia, where much, most of my information came from one Aboriginal elder, uh, and he, the same was the case with these scientists. But the, the the thing that that's talked about with the Dogons is that they they the key, the key to the paranormal or new age aspect of it was that they knew about stars, particularly uh, Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, uh, and uh, it, the whole star system out there uh, without ha- without being able to see it. Now Sirius, you can certainly see, but there are supposedly two other stars around there that they have they had uh, had uh, known about that were only discovered. Uh, much more recently than their their culture was, uh, 19th century, I believe. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was there's one star that they have not discovered that the Dogon talk about, but one that is uh, has been discovered. So the general opinion among scientists, who of course live by uh, a, fun, a principle that is oddly named Occam's Razor, it's a principle that uh, the the simplest answer, you know, all things being equal, the simplest answer is usually the correct one. So the simplest answer is not that aliens descended from the, that star system and started telling people all about where they came from. It's that they um, th- that they received the information later in their culture from Europeans after the discovery had been made. 
And you say, well, that's maybe a, what we used to call a cop-out. But it actually might be um, true because, uh, you know, people would ask, well, why would an ancient culture like that adapt something adopt something very new and put it into their, their uh, mythology and, and their, their religion. Well, that, there are precedents for that happening. Uh, during World War II, there was a, uh, there were a lot, there were a lot of, uh, isolated, were a lot of isolated South Sea cultures in Polynesia and the Pacific and that area. And, uh, during World War II, uh, the Allies or the Japanese, uh, w- would take whatever island seemed to be strategic and they, they just sort of, Take over and build um, an airstrip there. Well, there was there was a culture. I wish I could remember the name, but I can't. Uh, who to this day remember the uh, arrival of the U.S. cargo planes because they would come in and they'd give them stuff, food, and all this. And uh, they actually have a religious principle known as cargo, and they build uh, out of uh, plant material models of airplanes. And they hope that cargo will return someday. Now, th- th- this all happened within living memory of World War II. So, uh, ancient culture, indigenous cultures do sometimes adapt uh, <clears throat> these ideas to their religions and, and adopt new ideas. So, this is possible that the Dogon got their astronomical ideas from uh, more modern human sources. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, uh, th- there is a sort of uh, tacit agreement in our field that if a second star is, is discovered uh, in the Sirius star system, that um, the Dogon idea about getting information from other than human sources may be very well confirmed. Uh, so <clears throat> that's probably, and again, it's extremely complex. It's very uh, rather deep philosophy in there, again, about uh, twins and androgyny and uh, this sort of thing. And uh, they, have, they have eight major religious figures, which are actually eight p- pairs of figures. And again, getting into this twins and androgyny thing. And uh, a lot of people say, well, these must have been reptilian aliens who gave them this because of their tradition of the fish-like, a reptilian, uh, nomos uh, twins and this sort of thing. So it's very complex, but it, it, it's all going to depend, I think, on the discovery of a second star. And uh, we just don't know where they got the information uh any explanation is kind of plausible at this point. Did, did I answer? Or Ben, you might want to have something to contribute here to. Did I answer Todd's question? I I don't know. Um, I think I think a lot of a lot of the the, the different portions of of antiquity. Um, I, I I always try to try to warn myself and 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 not kind of step into into a uh, sort of a, a a deep a deep hole. Of putting modern understandings on ancient understandings, yeah, because that's that's a very slippery, slippery, slippery slope. Because the interpretations of of experiences are very different. You know, um, humans in and of themselves, you know, kind of the characteristics don't change, but our interpretations do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say it's kind of dangerous to superimpose. Oh well, it's just aliens over stuff. Because a that kind of defeats you know the whole sort of human experience and kind of you know uh, deflates everything that's ever been achieved by just attributing attributing it to something that's not human. Or um, I also think it's dangerous because then it's it's uh, it, it could be just a complete misinterpretation, right? And it's and it's you know it takes a degree of of I guess for lack of better words discernment to to wonder okay well is it 
is it really kind of like profitable to think to think this or is it or does it require more consideration yeah does that that makes sense yeah oh and i'm also uh, thinking of another another point todd made uh, about uh, the dogon giving uh, being given advanced technology by these these uh, aliens uh that it's not so much advanced technology as as uh, the belief is advanced knowledge uh, pharmacological knowledge, things of this kind. And, and this is, you're right, Todd, this is a common theme in ancient cultures around the world. I mean, when I was uh, hanging out with the Aboriginal guy there in Australia, there, there was uh, the, the same kind of idea that uh, advanced um, understandings, even even philosophical understandings, advanced knowledge of medicine, uh, proper diet, and this thing all came from uh, the sky, <laughs> Uh, that's present in the, the book of Genesis, as a matter of fact, in, in the uh, Judeo-Christian Bible. When you look at it, a lot of the uh, the proscribed, the, the pork and other things that you're not supposed to eat in the law, the Jewish law, there's a lot of, there are a lot of good health reasons for that. So th- that theme is really pretty much universal. So I, I've always found that fascinating. So anyway, let's... Uh, Move on to the next question there, Ben. Who's that from? Uh, so we have uh, from Peter in Bogota. Of course, we we oh, did not get to his questions last week. We did not. So we can hop into them now. Um, so Peter writes to us, Have you ever looked into the mystery of crop circles? Uh, well, we kind of <laughs> made a little joke about that with science. Um, if yeah. so, what are your thoughts about the examples that are allegedly not man-made? Okay, th- that's a difficult question. I remember one of the most frustrating aspects of my work in this field was in 1989 when I happened to be in England uh, looking for the Beast of Exmoor, which was a one of those a big cat phenomena that is pretty much common there, uh, or was becoming common. And I was driving by a field on the way. I was in Wil- uh, I believe I was in Wiltshire, and I was driving by a field on the way to Devon. And in the southwestern part of the country, and there was a very rural area, and there were all these cars lined up, parked next to this field with tall grass. Had I stopped, I would have been uh, witness to one of the most amazing crop circles of that year in England. I, did, I was oblivious to it. I drove right by like a dope, and I had no way of knowing. So uh, I have I have not seen a crop circle circle except once in Ontario, Canada. In Ontario and um, all the way west to uh, at least western Manitoba, there there's a lot of farming and that kind of farming, and, and the crop circles are pretty well known there. And I did see one in a field in Ontario in uh, 1977, I'd be, uh, not 97, uh, 1974 actually, and uh, it was difficult to say how it uh, took place. Uh, what we found was that um, the, and I was still kind of new to this field at the time. I only started in 1970. Uh, the um, stalks of corn, in this case, were bent over but were not really damaged. Mm. In other words, they weren't killed. You know, the, the 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 corn could be harvested. And I'm not sure how. I'm no farmer, but I'm not sure how you could quite do that. You know, in any kind of normal way, and we couldn't find find any that were permanently damaged. Uh, there was some uh, theory later on, uh, with uh, ten, fifteen years later, when the DNA started to become a common research tool, 
that uh, the DNA in the corn had changed or grain or whatever it was. But I don't know that for a fact. I was never involved in any work in that. So um, it is, um, and it has been shown that uh, crop circles can be artificially created. As a matter of fact, there are several organizations around, and there's one in the U.K., of people who consider themselves artists who use boards and ropes to literally go out and and make these things. Uh, cameras have been put on fields at night, and uh, crop circles have appeared the next day, and there has been, if you can trust the videos, and that's a big if today, uh, either lights were seen over the fields and the, the crop circle was created, or you could see people doing it. So I, I just I just don't know. Mm. Yeah, that's a. It's a. I don't know. I've never. I've never had a chance to really hop into crop circles. I just kind of know them as a. As a sort of a. You know the, the the phenomena of it. I know it's relatively easily faked, and the stuff that's real is is pretty pretty real. I believe. Um, was it Linda Moulton Howe who did a bunch of research on it? Linda Moulton Howe. Because we the, had her on talking about the, it. The, the shows we've ago. done on crop circles have pretty much been with Linda Moulton Howe. That's a real interest with her. Mm. Linda Moulton Howe being a science journalist who's, who's a, a good friend of ours. You know who else uh, I would love to get on the show about this is Colin Andrews. He was Mr. Crop Circles back in, in back in the day in, in England. Mm. And uh, now he lives in Connecticut, not all that far from us. Oh, really? Yeah, and we don't really... Um, we know him in passing, but we we have not been able to get him on the show because he kind of backed off from all this. He didn't want much to do with it. Mm. So what happened was that um, uh, all of a sudden, uh, when they did that that film tribute to me a couple of weeks ago in New Hampshire at the UFO conference, I was floored and, and moved by it. There's Colin Andrews in there wishing me uh, f- good luck and, and congratulations for 50 years of paranormal work. So maybe that's an in with him, and we can get him on the show, and uh, we'll be able to um, uh, have a really good show on that. So at this point, we're going to take our um, our bottom-of-the-hour break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Explosions or not, and we'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. It's WOON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we have a caller, and of course what we're going to do is uh, take the call, and it has to do with one of Peter's questions. We were dealing with Peter's uh, questions from Bogota, Columbia, a very faithful listener and good questioner. And uh, now, did Peter ask about... Um, oh, by the, by the way, we have Cousin Rick on. Yes, Cousin Rick Eno, who is our Northern California reporter, and uh, there was a question, Was I don't know if it was from Peter, but it was a question about how, uh, Rick has fans on the show now, we're going to get him in as, as a co-host at, at some point, but uh, there was a question about how Rick gets his cases, and... Um, oh, that, I think that, uh, I don't know if we got to that last week, it might have been... I don't think so. I don't remember. No, because it came in since then. Maybe anyway, Rick, welcome back to the show. <laughs> And uh, 
So how do you um, how do you get your your cases to re- the, the ones you report on on the show? So there's uh, a couple of different outlets. I mean, as you know, it's a labor of love and finding. Uh, first of all, I'll point out that I do investigate the MUFON, so I am privileged to know about things that happen uh, in the community and through my reputation. So uh, there's a database I can look up that actually you all have access to on MUFON to look up. Uh, one of it, I believe, a connection through Facebook, uh, and the, um, the and that's a public site. Then there's also New Fork, which is the National UFO Reporting Center. You can go there to see what's in your local area. And then there's API, which is Aerial Phenomenon Investigations. That's another site. Um, then the other two ways that I do it is I have an Instagram account called High Strangeness in the Bay Area. Um, and uh, people contact me through that locally. It's actually how I found out about the Luscato Chinese miners that were killed in, supposedly in, the, in a haunted uh, uh, train tunnel. Um, so there's that way as well. And then just by reputation, once I've worked with some people, witnesses and so forth, um, they tend to call me back and uh, tell me about things that happened to other people or connect me with other people that way. That's really the way I've been doing it, and it, it seems to provide me with a lot of uh, a lot of material to work with. Actually, too much for me to handle at times, uh, wow, but yeah. um, that's the most successful way. Well, I think um, well, you certainly a very personable person, a typical Eno man in our family, and uh, <laughs> you could uh, I, I mean, you work well with people. Um, I have to agree with your comments, too, about the, the MUFON database. I mean, say what you want about MUFON, but, but the database is really first rate. And it, to, to file a MUFON report, MUFON being the Mutual UFO Network, a respected group pretty much, uh, you, there's a lot, of, a lot to filing a report. So if you go to all the trouble of finding a report, of having a UFO experience and then, and then reporting it to MUFON with the, all the witnesses and their addresses and all the details and this sort of thing, then uh, it meant enough to you to to go to the trouble to do it. So uh, I think it's it's a yeah. very credible database, you know. Yeah, you know, I would say, Paul, that one thing uh, shines with MUFON. I'm very proud of that organization. Their training to be an investigator is not to be taken lightly. It's huh. it's, uh, it's truly uh, a lot of work to learn to how to do this correctly. And even then, you know, it it then it comes down to all your experience. And I'm a fledgling in this. Uh, I'm nowhere near the experience levels of, uh, of either you or Ben or anywhere else, but it's something I came to love and came to understand that's really, really important, and MUFON takes it real seriously, and they will train you, but uh, you've got to want to do it. Well, you're right. I mean, in a sense, you you might have uh, a leg up over us because I, I belong to MUFON. It's, I think, just about the only thing I belong to. I'm not a joiner, and the, the, these organizations, especially paranormal groups, have uh, you know feuds and intrigues and it's I can't deal with that, uh, but I yeah. have not I have not taken the investigator course in MUFON, which I th- is something I should do, and you have so that that's uh, that's a good leg up for you there, uh, but anyway uh, th- that's uh, really <clears throat> really a good answer to the question I think of whoever asked it <laughs> but I remember it came in, uh, what uh, what's cooking now uh, anything since last week? Well yeah. Um it's actually, I was going through my cases as I go through every so often just to remind myself of what's out there. And um, there is something that is uh, unique, and I found it to, my finding was that it would eventually become an unknown. But it has to do with the ring, 
security system. Are you guys familiar uh, with that? People get the ring doorbell. And yes. So yeah, That's I, in commercials. I, I, I have it. <laughs> you do, I was going to get it, but your mom didn't think that was a great idea. She's extremely <laughs> stubborn and suspicious, like uh, the kid in Mary Poppins. That's true, but it's a great way to spy on the neighbors. I hope she's not listening. <laughs> okay. So, so um, typically when I get a ring report, um, there's a, it can usually be easily explained. People will see orbs or some type of something on their lenses and are recording or live. And usually it ends up being because uh, of the passive infrared sensors. It's bugs passing over it or... Um, uh, even in cold, cold weather, you will get that. And it does look, you know, odd, very, very odd. But I came across a case. Um, this one went back uh, to relatively recently. It was in, on June 9th, and it was reported out in Madera, California. And what happened was the, the witness woke up at around midnight and saw a glowing rod moving in the review of his ring video. He hid the alarm, went back and looked at it. And, uh, you know, he contacted his brother, uh, and his brother got a hold of me because I'd worked with his brother before. And um, there was a language barrier, so this took a couple different interviews to get it all sorted out. But uh, what ended up, uh, what was interesting about it, there was a rod, in fact, and I wouldn't even call it a glowing rod. It was a rod on the lens. You could see it uh, in view. And it didn't move in a regular pattern. It, it kind of moved, hovered, it moved around. And I was trying to explain that. I was looking through it for, like, the old days with digital cameras. There was flat back splatter, you know, with dust. And I yeah. explain it that way. I looked at it, tried to explain it to the passive uh, infrared sensors, couldn't explain it. And reviewing the video, I, just, I had to determine that it was an unknown. And it's one of the only unknowns that I've caught on the, the ring camera. I do know that people report these a lot. Um, and a lot can be explained away, but there is something to it, uh, to this particular one. Um, and I, I would encourage anyone who, who is interested in uh, sort of who has these systems, including yourself, look at them carefully. You never know what you can capture. If it can't be explained, that's one to be uh, for, the, for the history book. Well, coincidentally, um, as, as an owner of a ring system, I actually didn't buy it. It came with the house that we bought. So when we we got it all all hooked up and and you know got it all synced on our phones and whatnot, um, you know our our favorite pastime is uh, my wife and I if we have no if you know in the periods where we have nothing going on which is very rare sometimes we'll just go through the the footage or or whatever that's there and like you know kind of take a look and you know like any good old you know New England town we live next to the old cemetery and whatnot so it's it's very it's very easy to you know I remember Marion at one point was like oh check this out and like it looked like a little light and I was like ah sorry to burst your bubble mayor that's a that's a bug <laughs> yeah or like you know a spider will crawl by occasionally you know it's, it's, yeah. it's you know old New England town that's just kind of kind of how it is um and it's it's interesting because I I uh the the former homeowners they had cameras all over the place, and a part of me wonders uh, maybe maybe they had something going on. And you know, they you know, yeah. when we were walking through the house, they had cameras all every single room, and it made yeah right it, that, yeah yeah it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Um, so but I you know I I haven't really experienced anything. Everything's been pretty pretty normal. If anything, it's actually a very positive place. Well, that's because you're very positive yeah. people. Yeah, we try yeah. our best. Yeah. What one thing I would add is uh, I know that you mentioned Linda Moulton how earlier. Um, Linda Moulton Howe did a uh, 
a piece on this. I think it's on our website on these camera sightings. I have not read it, but I know it exists. So if people want to go take a look and see what she's come up with, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, earthfiles.com. It, it's, it's a really great site. That's her site. She puts all her info on there. Uh, you, there's a yearly subscription if you want full access, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good site. Okay. Excellent site. Okay, Rick, it's great to talk to you. We'll, we'll be talking to you very soon on the air here, and uh, we'll, it's always interesting. Yeah. It's great talking to you guys. Have a great week. Hey, okay. you as well. All right. Bye-bye. So uh, what do you have next, Ben? Well, uh, we do have another question from Peter, but it was specifically for Shane. Um, oh, okay. Which uh, you know we could always set aside. We'll, we'll save that for when he, Shane. Yeah, for us. when she, we want to do it justice, especially since it's a special question. For Absolutely, Shane. yes. <laughs> so we'll, we'll hop over to uh, Doug from Texas. I know you guys don't believe in reincarnation in the traditional way, but do you think it's possible for a loved one to be uh, quote unquote reincarnated, for lack of better words? Um, yeah, back into our current world. Uh, the reason I ask is because I love my. I think my current dog is the reincarnation of my previous dog. I know it sounds stupid. Maybe this is a question that should be directed towards Karen Anderson. Uh, I just wanted to hear your opinion first. Thank you. Okay, a couple of things to explain. <clears throat> Karen Anderson is an old friend of ours who uh, is an animal communicator. She's been on the show not lately, but many times in the past, and uh, she believes very strongly in uh, the psychic power of animals, which I think is pretty obvious. It's part of the survival pattern instinct. And uh, that's who Karen Anderson is. So, uh, But as far as uh, our belief in reincarnation, we really don't believe in the, any kind of traditional sense because simply because uh, reincarnation, by definition, in the New Age sense or in, in, in any other sense in previous cultures, uh, has been that you you die and you are reborn later on. Well, according to the special theory of relativity, Einstein, there is no later on in the sense that there is no past and no future. Everything is simultaneous. And that kind of changes everything and uh, kind of obviates the the uh, possibility of um, reincarnation in that classical sense. If there is no past, how can you have past lives? However, we do believe in uh, and believe that we see in action all the time the idea of parallel realities as postulated in quantum physics, uh, the um, <clears throat> multiple worlds interpretation, and that's how we think the whole paranormal world works. You know, you see what you think is a ghost, and it's actually you're looking you're looking across the the, the plasma charged membrane of a parallel world, and you're seeing somebody else just doing their everyday thing, and uh, they look creepy so uh, it's got to be a ghost what else could it be well the same thing with reincarnation there are many versions uh, if this is true of ourselves that includes dogs okay uh, and all th- all things never mind it, and this gets into a little bit of platonism here i guess or the ideals mm. but there seems to be um parallel worlds with all, of all sorts of uh, very similar uh, laws of physics maybe some very different where there are versions of yourselves, versions of your pets, or versions of your loved ones, you know, you name it, it's all there. So couple the idea of simult- complete simultaneity, uh, no past, no future, just everything simultaneous, we just experience it past or future, with the idea that all outcomes are out there, all beings are out there, anything that is possible actually does exist somewhere or somewhere in this multiverse or metaverse or omniverse, it's sometimes called. Mm. And then you have an idea that that, that can explain your feelings about 
the dog. And this is not, not stupid at all. I mean, the military, we learned the only dumb question is the one that isn't asked. You know, it's, never never hesitate to ask a question if you think, you know, no matter how uh, irrational you think it sounds, it's, there's, a, there's always a good reason for you asking the question. So, um, I don't know, Ben, you have any other thoughts on that? I think the, as far as the reincarnation, I don't think so, but a, 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 an identity point, a term we actually had to invent to talk about these ideas, where you feel a certain unity or, or oneness with another person, maybe someone you've never even met before, and all of a sudden you just click, uh, even with, with a, um, an animal of a similar kind. I mean, you just, you, you would feel the same thing about a previous, uh, something you loved about the previous pet, and then it, it's manifest in the new one. I mean, that's just the way nature seems to work. Oh, it's, I guess, I guess so. Um, you know, one of the things that always kind of jumps out, I, I, you know, from past life regressors is sort of past problems being dragged to the present mm. or, you know, past relationships being dragged to the present. I, I would argue, um, you know, it's just kind of a hypothesis. I have n- nothing to support it other than experience that, you know, all of us kind of attract certain groups of people and certain people are kind of attracted to each other, right? So, like, you know, you, you'll you'll see in, in sort of the classical interpretations of reincarnation and past lives and whatnot, like, oh, this person is so-and-so from your past life. It's like, well, it's not a past life, it's a concurrent life, right? So if you have a profound effect on somebody, then that sort of person is kind of brought into your gravi- gravitation, I suppose, right? Mm. Or into into a gravitation with each other. You know, not to make it like a self-centered thing. It's just kind of like, you know, it's just sort of a, a, a community that's formed throughout worlds. And, you know, it's like, I would, maybe, it's probably the same with animals, right? It's like, I think, I think some of it you could probably ex- say it's, yeah, well, it's us anthropomorphizing animals and putting, or, you know, you could make the argument, okay, well, I'm putting this, these characteristics with this animal I have. For example, you know, one of my cats greatly reminds me of, one of our old cats, Rusty. Mm. You know, Clementine does have that sort of same sort of personality of like, you know, you can look at me but don't touch me kind of thing. <laughs> kind of likes to be around people but doesn't want to be touched. Yeah. Yeah, that that kind of thing. But it, I could also explain that away by saying, okay, well, I'm putting these characteristics of a former animal on that animal. But the argument remains, it's entirely possible that, you know, it, it could just be these sort of things are attracted to one another. Right, yeah, it's kind of like yeah. a, mag- a magnetism throughout the multiverse that you're, you know, kind of bringing in these things and how one chooses to live their life. You know, you either get, you kind of, you can attract similar good things or similar bad things. You know, it's it's kind of like you know, ring- ringing the dinner bell in the opposite sense. If that if that's if you're following where I'm going with this, yeah. So you know the I am. I don't know about the audience. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if, if you're not following, please feel free to send us a message. Um, so the you know, the, the argument is that you can take these classical interpretations of past lives saying, oh, well, I'm Emily Dickinson from a past life, and Emily Dickinson had a problem with, you know, her left hand cramping all the time, and my left hand cramps all the time. You know, I, I would argue that, okay, well, maybe it's not your past life, it's your life. And you are having that left hand cramp then, now, and it's just happening. You know, time in and of itself is irrelevant. Because, you know, time doesn't go back and, you know, time doesn't, we just take time out of the equation. I think in the Western world we're so focused on this idea of time, 
I don't have time to do this. Or uh, let's exchange Western for modern. In the modern world, you know, I don't have time to do this. Everything is is on a schedule. We're 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 meant to be here at this time. But in, in effect, time doesn't exist, and we're so used to planning our lives around time that you know we kind of miss the point of everything. And so everything's kind of thought in these linear terms. But life isn't linear, unfortunately. Mm. And and at, at this point, it's it's saying that this non-linearity could in, entirely, you know lead to this idea of okay well you know if it's if everything's linear then i'm experiencing this then and a former me has experienced it then and now uh, i got my i got my t- my my linear time stamps well it's hard up. to talk about this in, in just about any language yeah well hey you know you can't use any word you can't use words to describe the indescribable right <laughs> yeah yeah but so the, there's no former self there, there there's always there's just Self, we we call it the super life, right? You know all the different facets of yourself. Well, just to add to that, there's a principle in regression therapy, and regression therapists will take you back by hypnotism, usually to your quote past lives unquote. And uh, they, they, I, I have seen this work. That okay? Suppose you have a, an a irrational fear of doorknobs, okay, uh, here and now. They would uh, perhaps say, well, maybe uh, when you were in a former life in the 1700s or something, or your last parallel, your last life, uh, somebody opened a door and smacked you in the head and you died. All right. So naturally, you're going to be afraid of doorknobs. Mm. All right. Now, that, to me, that's a little simplistic. However, uh, they would uh, hypnotize you, take you back to that moment in your super life, uh, or not back to the moment. Well, they consider it past life. And uh, they would, you would deal with that, and then you wouldn't be afraid of doorknobs anymore. And I've actually seen things like that kind of happen, at least to some degree. So there is something to it. But you know, in my opinion, it would be taking you back, taking you not back anywhere, but but across to a parallel life where that happened, and maybe de- I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on reincarnation, but I have seen that work. So uh, it's maybe six of one, half dozen of the other. Mm. But uh, reincarnation is uh, something that's very. I think um, accepted in a lot of cultures. Uh, a lot of people are surprised to hear this, but in early Christianity, there was, a, and even in early Judaism, there was a uh, a sort of line of belief in reincarnation. And uh, I mean, for example, Origen, uh, one of the uh, early Christian uh, <laughs> uh, fathers, I guess you could say, although he was considered a heretic. Well, he got a lot of stuff attributed to him. I think he kind of got a bum rap. Well, th- all right, I guess. You know, too bad your Uncle Bob is, uh, you know, in a somewhere parallel, you know, somewhere else in the multiverse right now. You could, he was an expert on, on origin. Well, uh, as, uh, as, as, uh, Metropolitan Callistos Ware once said, I'd rather be right with origin than wrong with anybody else. <laughs> that sounds like something he would say, yeah. But in any case, uh, the, the, the whole reincarnation thing is at times problematic. But again, you know, it can be apparently used for, Something that that's helpful. Uh, phobias, particularly, uh, at least regression therapists will attribute uh, that to uh, past life experiences. So maybe we're wrong, but uh, unless Einstein is wrong too, then reincarnation is, uh, needs to be reevaluated as a phenomenon and perhaps uh, looked at as parallel lives. And, and I've pointed this up before in the air, but 
when I talk to regression therapists, I will always ask, uh, do you, when you have hypnotized someone and taken them, quote, back to a past life, unquote, do you ever have people who will describe uh, a, a date in the future, something you don't expect, uh, or a, a world that you, a, a very, a world that you don't even recognize? And uh, more often than not, they'll say yes. Uh, and it has confused them at times. And, and there are others who are, have, have advanced their understanding of this phenomenon and are accepting the idea of parallel lives mm. going on at the same time uh, and uh, coming out in these hypnotism sessions. So uh, it's, it's a work in progress. It is indeed. And I think, I think it's, you know, every day is a new day. And we're all kind of works in progress, and that includes all of our lives. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and I think the thing to keep in mind is, Doug, after after all this high-minded talk, keep it simple. Yes, it's true. Um, do is there something else from Facebook? There, uh, we have a couple of things actually. Uh, we have something relatively short from uh, Terry here in one socket, and uh, Terry writes to us: What are orbs, and can you see them with the naked eye or just in photographs? Well, that's a good question. I was hoping Shane would be here to help answer that because he's, he's got a lot of experience with orbs. Uh, what are orbs? Okay, well, orbs are balls of light, if anybody doesn't know, and they have uh, come into their own in paranormal research in the last 20 to 30 years, and they are um, interpreted in many different ways. Now, as one who has some experience in photography, and uh, both as a journalist and as a in, in working in uh, intelligence photography in the military, in days of yore, um, I can tell you that a lot of these orbs are specks of dust uh, on the lens or are um, insects that are uh, captured uh, in a light, that sort of thing. Uh, if you're using a, a, a light or a flash when you're taking the photograph, whether it be video or still, uh, you're going to be able, to, you're going to pick things up that are in the air. And particularly now with the advent of digital media over the past uh, 20 years, uh, d- digital media will interpret what the lens picks up. So it will, and, and display it in that way. Back in the 70s, when I was first doing photography in the paranormal uh, research realm, you uh, we didn't see orbs like that. You would see sort of flashes of light, almost like stars, and I suppose it might be the same thing. But uh, orbs uh, were were there, but they weren't as readily picked up, I think probably because of the, the, the light specter issues, things of that kind, tech, the technical issues. But they're much more common in paranormal photography today. Uh, which might not even be paranormal photography. Uh, I have seen them with the naked eye. Uh, they have acted uh, in a rather intelligent manner. I've seen them change colors. They uh, have a lot of the characteristics of ball lightning, which is a very uh, relatively rare, I guess, uh, and a rather disconcerting phenomenon. Um, we um, have, I've talked to people who uh, have had ball lightning in their houses, and very, and very often it, it will it will ex- literally explode with a loud pop or bang. It doesn't really do any damage, but it's very disconcerting. And uh, they do. I've had ball lightning. If it was ball lightning, follow, you know, follow people around and things of this kind. Uh, that is, uh, I think, related. But I think what what orbs are when you get into the deep paranormal sense of them is that uh, they seem to me to be life forms, 
plasma-based life forms, something that is, is, is talked about by a possibility, which is talked about by astrobiologists, including Carl Sagan, uh, the great Carl Sagan, uh, talked about the possibility of these things. And um, I think they feed around the membranes between parallel worlds. That's why they're so common in paranormal situations in photography. On the other hand, uh, I've actually taken photos of, of orbs that seem to have faces in them. <clears throat> now, maybe that's pareidolia, uh, you know, it's just the, the brain interpreting what it wants to see, that kind of thing. But uh, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Um, I am probably more of, of the mind of, of assuming that it's it's not dead people. Right. I, that's that's just kind well, of... Well, nobody's dead. I mean, it's parallel. To, to right. Me. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of just, <clears throat> just throwing that out there. Yeah. You know, they're, all, they're always seen in such interesting circumstances. You know, not just like, oh, well, it happens to be outside of a of a haunted house, like that kind of thing. It's it's actually, you know, I, I think it's interesting when they kind of occur around paranormal, like Bigfoot phenomena, right? Yeah. And and sort of any any sort of not like not like predictors, but they're in that sort of realm of um, of. Uh, oh, sorry, my my brain just just stalled out mid mid <laughs> sentence. Um, she didn't think you were my age. No. Well, no. <laughs> well, anyway, we're out of time anyway. We are out of time. But yeah. essentially my, my point was I, I agree with you in that I think that there's more to them than meets the eye. Pardon pardon the, yeah. the play on words. Well, I always like to have my son agree with me. So. Well, hey, you know, it's, right. it's little things in life. Yes, well, let's take away our announcements. The rest of the script is correct, by the way. Just the... the are we sure you, about that? Uh, yeah. Okay, well... <laughs> you can blame me if it's not... So our public events, uh, all of one uh, of which have been virtual, uh, seems to be done for the year. Uh, but you never know. You know, something could come up. Mm. Uh, with any luck, though, we'll, we plan to speak at the New England Parafest on April 10th and 11th. That's 2021 in Kittery, Maine. And we'll do a live broadcast of the show with a panel of speakers on Sunday the 11th. More information will be forthcoming. Okay, uh, well, check out our current books along with those of our other co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find uh, more about the show, <clears throat> many cases over the years, our public appearances and how to book us, along with some of our 900-plus free recorded shows of our 12 years on the air, and 12-plus years, <clears throat> including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS radio along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, past shows to uh, back to late 2009 are also available on the major podcast apps and platforms, including YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and the rest. Uh, and we have hopefully get them all back there from uh, uh, back to 2008. So what do we have uh, cooking for next week, Ben? So next week, that's November 22nd, we will take a look at Granite Skies, the jarring story of alien abduction experience of uh, Mike Stevens in New Hampshire. Joining Mike will be uh, Nomar Slevic, author of a new book uh, on the subject, which I believe they worked on the book together. Uh, they did, yeah. Well, they'll both be on the show next week, and it's funny, uh, Mike is a dear friend going back many years, mm. and but, we, but we've never heard, it has been on the show a lot, especially in panel discussions at the conferences, mm. but we've never heard the story of what actually happened to him. He's never been quite comfortable with it. With, no, with, it took him a uh, long time to come around and, and uh, to talk about it. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, all the, more power to him. Absolutely, yeah. uh, he's a he's a great fellow, and we're looking forward yeah, to having him guy. on. Very genuine person. Yeah, very generous person as well. Uh, look forward to having him on next week. Indeed. Okay, so well, uh, we have a little bit of time here, actually. We do. We do. Are you? Are uh, you 
I, well, I mean, I got a long quote here. You do have a long quote? Oh, well, <laughs> to the quote. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we leave you today with a soaring thought from everyone's favorite 13th century theologian and poet, Rumi. Love this guy. Quote, what God said to the rose and caused it to laugh in full-blown beauty, he said to my heart and made it 100 times more beautiful. Unquote. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.